Hi everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the Yonsei Podcast. I'm Michelle from Nikkei Rising, and I'll be one of your hosts for today's episode. As the young adult branch of Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages, we'll be bringing you roundtable discussions with young adults involved in and around the Japanese American community to honor our community's history and explore its implications today. Hey y'all, I'm Matt, your other host for today's episode of the Yonsei Podcast. For this episode, our last one of 2020, we'll be talking about Nikkei in Japan. For those of us who were born outside of the unit of Japan and our decisions to return to Japan for school, work, or something else. Our first guest today is Christy Ishii, 4.5 Gen JA UCLA alumna from California, ex-JET program English teacher in Gunma, ex-agency recruiter in Tokyo, and also started her own business as a career coach. She's the current JACL Japan chapter president and former JACL Kakahashi participant in 2014. Welcome to the Yonsei, Christy. Hi, everyone. Our second guest tonight is Mika Zatera. She's a 3.5 Gen JA from Chicago and went to school at USC, where she was president of the USC Nikkei Student Union and also a former Kakahashi Project participant back in 2017. Welcome to the Yonsei, Mika. Hello. So to start, we'd love to hear a little bit more about what brought you to Japan, where you were located, and how long you were there. Uh, Maybe, Christy, if you'd like to start. Sure. Um, So I went to Japan on the JET program in 2016, right after graduation. And I moved directly to this really small town called Tatebayashi in Gunmaken, which is like two prefectures above Tokyo. And I was there for two years before moving to Tokyo for another two years. Awesome. Uh, Mika, would you like to share a little bit more about your experience? Sure. Um, So I was uh, going to school at USC, and then they had a study abroad uh, partnership with Jochi Daigaku in Tokyo. So I lived um, in Tokyo for uh, a semester, so around four to six months. And yeah. That's awesome. I think it's great that you both got to have different experiences and got to go for different reasons. And so sort of thinking about those reasons and what you got to do while you're in Japan, I think a few people probably know the answer, but what drew you to go back to Japan for more than just a vacation? What drew you to go back and live, work, study, and sort of uproot your whole life for a few months or a few years back to Japan? Hmm. I think it's it's interesting that you say go back to Japan because I feel like whenever we talk about Japan, we talk about going back somewhere when we never really came from there. Um, <laughs> but anyways, what drew me to Japan was actually this kind of lack of Japanese-ness that I felt come out when I went to Los Angeles because I grew up pretty much in a non-Asian like community in Salinas. So kind of like being the token Asian, I was always like the Japanese girl. And so I went to UCLA and met a bunch of like Japanese nationals, like Shin Nikkei, people from, you know, households that like spoke Japanese and they had relatives in Japan. And I was questioned a lot, like, oh, are you Japanese? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, so you speak Japanese? And I was like, no. And so that happened a lot in college. And I felt like I was kind of what you'd call what people call like a banana or something, like a Twinkie. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't feel very Japanese. And so that was one of the main reasons, that plus reclaiming the language as to why, like, I wanted to go to Japan. Yeah, it's cool. Like, you mentioned, like, being exposed to a different kind of group of people than you're used to and people that have come kind of from all different places to go to college um, kind of expose you to that different different, I guess, sort of experience of being Japanese American. And so it, it's it's kind of cool that that prompted you to to learn more about your heritage. Okay. Oh, Christy, that's really interesting about um, your experience, because for me, I was kind of like born and raised with my obachan, and she's from Hiroshima, and she doesn't speak English, even though she's lived in America, like for like oh, wow. 50 years. So I, I was kind of like, so that's why I said I'm like a 3.5 gen, because like, I kind of feel like a like a sansei but also like a nisei a little bit because my like my grandma kind of I was so antiquated I guess like she's so used to like 
being Japanese, only speaking Japanese, and that's kind of how I grew up. So for me, I wanted to go study abroad there because I, I thought about genuinely like if I wanted to live there longer term in the future and to also like my so we have family in Hiroshima as well so it was nice living near them for a short time in my life um and yeah I I wanted to improve my Japanese more like I I'm conversational but I wanted to be like business proficient and I'm still unfortunately I'm not but it was it was a good experience in that sense Wait, so that's really interesting because you mentioned your your bachan speaks Japanese, right? And you spoke to yeah. her in Japanese. So I grew up speaking English to all my grandparents, and I only found out after like I moved to Japan and started being able to speak really well that only one of like my grandparents, like one of them, can speak because they moved back to Japan after World War Two for like oh. five years. Mm-mm. But if she hadn't gone back, I would like have no living relatives um like in the states Mm -hmm. that can speak (laughs) so um yeah yeah it's interesting interesting. yeah so my my obacha doesn't even speak english so that's the problem we have so we all have to speak japanese and i think if she spoke english i don't know if we would have learned japanese the way we have because like we've always had to translate for everything so like my mom was she was born here but um, was fluent in both, and so was my uncle. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's. I think language plays an important role in also deciding whether we want to go back, whether we grew up with it or whether we didn't. Because I'm like Christy, I I grew up with grandparents who didn't speak any of the languages from from the countries that their parents and their grandparents had come from. So for me, it was always wanting to learn more about Japanese or Chinese or Russian or German or Hebrew. And I think going along those same lines, when you got to Japan, both, um, well, also before you got to Japan, I guess, what was your level of proficiency in Japanese? And then when you got to Japan, was how was that sort of barrier of having to learn uh, and use Japanese every day? And how has your Japanese gotten better while you were there and since coming back? Um, so for me... I like I said I I currently also live with my obacha right now we're quarantining together so I I speak Japanese at home so I was like intermediate and I was taking it at USC too I wanted to become like a fluent or you know business proficient so I you know I went to study abroad at like Sophia University is what it's called speaking Japanese every day wasn't a very big deal for me I think the problem became when I had to have like these real interactions with people you didn't know like if you like take somebody's seat for example like some things that you don't normally (laughs) like have to deal with when you speak Japanese at home Mm -hmm. because like again like the only Japanese I ever used was like practically so like oh food's ready and like you know those kinds of things (laughs) where like it gets you far if you're like ordering food at a restaurant and stuff but like I don't know how to like file for a visa in Japanese like I that was hard for me like those kinds of things like the really advanced Japanese I had a I definitely had a hard time with that but otherwise it was nice to be able to like think and like function in Japan for a little bit because of the the language ability I guess Hmm. that's that's super interesting Mika so for me I actually I started taking Japanese classes at UCLA. They have this like intensive course. It's like a nine week thing. And they try to put in like three quarters worth of Japanese into nine weeks. And I oh, died. Wow. But Oh my wow. God. Good for you. <laughs> but it was really fun. And I met like my first Japanese friends at like in that time period over the summer. And I took, I think, up to level five, it was like in, in, I don't know, university levels or whatever. But then there was this gap between like when I moved to Japan and when I actually took that course. And so it was like maybe a year or so. And it was like learning in a classroom. It wasn't really using it every day. So when I got to Japan, (laughs) I was so unprepared to function in the countryside. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course not. Yeah. Also, the accents are all different in every prefecture and everywhere. I completely understand that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like, I literally felt like I was five years old and almost like looking when I did reflections, like looking back on that time, 
I was pretty much like disabled because I couldn't <laughs> understand, right? Like what people were telling yeah. me, couldn't really get out like what I wanted to say. And that like plus just just sticking out like a sore thumb because all my clothes were bought in the U.S. Um, like yeah. I didn't have the Uniqlo wardrobe that like everyone. <laughs> so also you're um, in the countryside too, so like the fashion is like so different. Yeah, like you get it. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't think people like I don't know how many people know what it's like to live in the countryside, but I definitely so, yeah. Actually, my so my grandma's side in Hiroshima they're from like the countryside of Hiroshima so whenever we go to visit it's like we're like on a rice paddy kind of thing like it's very rural (laughs) Um, but I understand what you're talking about about fashion because it's 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 very different there especially compared to Tokyo so um I get it (laughs) yeah totally and like the language stuff I mean basic things like literally just writing my name and my address I just remember yeah like Because, you know, like when you get an apartment, right? So on the JET program, they have an apartment there, but you still have to sign everything and do all the stuff at the like Kyak show. And like, like you're saying, like the visa stuff, like, yeah, anything that has to do with like your legally, like your legal documents, like living in Japan and stuff like that, that, that's (laughs) kind of. Did they help you at all? Or like, did you have to do that all by yourself? Like there was always someone there, like standing, watching over me, but like I had to physically like like write most of it sometimes they would write it like for me but it was just kind of like I remember going my first time I was like talking to the gas guy or something and he came over to the apartment and there's no air conditioning in the kitchen right because you know how like in the countryside you only have this like one air con like or whatever like and so (laughs) there's some parts of the house that are super hot and so jet program starts in the summer so it's the August summer like countryside tatabashi was like one of the hottest places in japan like it's usually oh top three oh and i was wow. like kneeling on on the ground writing on the stool writing in a pen and if i messed up i would have had to like get a whole new paper because everything i don't know you just you can't mess up on your name and stuff i'm like sweating like oh trying to figure out how to write my like can we sorry I don't want to like my dang like address and I was just I felt so like dumb and like also ashamed that I couldn't do that and so the I don't know the language thing was actually a really big struggle for me in the beginning like the first half a year because I put so much pressure on myself to be to be able to just like pick it up I don't know what it was like I thought because I was like Japanese American for some reason that would give me the power to like no I get it I I completely get it like I I had that those same feelings as well like when it came to like the getting the you know the national insurance it was so Mm. embarrassing I I had like my host mom come with me and that was nice but it was also like you know you had to handle all these things essentially by yourself and it's a little bit embarrassing when you're like yeah I completely get it when you said about writing your your um, name down I'm I had the same experience (laughs) yeah do you do you think like the language factors or anything I know you mentioned like fashion did any of those things kind of make you nervous before you like left for your trip or did you have like certain expectations of how things would go or what were your like initial feelings right before you were leaving? I was obviously nervous, but I was only living there for like a semester. So if I didn't love it, it wasn't like I was signing up for like a long-term stay. So I always had that mm-hmm. in the back of my mind as kind of a comfort. But, you know, I had been to Japan a couple times before that, like once with another USC program and then once with my – or and a handful of times with my obachan. So, like, I was familiar with it, Japan, like, like I had been there before. So I wasn't going in completely blind. So that that didn't help. Yeah. So I guess I also kind of had a few experiences going to Japan. I think it was one, two, three. There was one high school exchange with our sister city that I went on. I didn't speak any Japanese. And that was kind of like a really interesting experience I just was like wow Japan like really bright-eyed bushy-tailed and then like the second time was the Kakahashi JCL Kakahashi trip I think that's when I realized like I I wanted to 
live in Japan. Something about that trip made me feel like I could be like a Kakahashi. It was it was momentous. But then the third time was doing the GPIUS empowerment program, and it's this like six week. Um, when I went, it was six weeks. I think it's five weeks now, but it was like a leadership and English like summer one week program, and we went to five different schools. I stayed with five different host families. And it gave me the sense of like, oh, I know Japan, like I can live there, but like five families. I don't know. I had this really um, weird like confidence about moving there, but I also still had this very real like, I don't know if it's like a Yonsei Gosei thing, but <laughs> like this idea that Japan is like what we see at our local like obon festivals and stuff and mm. all the traditional stuff that is kind of like in a time capsule from like pre-world war ii like that our great-grandparents like brought over to america like that was my image of japan more or less and so going there and and realizing i don't know i had a lot of expectations i guess of what i thought japan was like and then did you think it was kinda- like too modern when you got there or well like like in terms of like how people live because it it is like i have a i think i i know what you're saying a little bit because like my grandma and the way she imagined japan was from when she was living there like 50 years ago so it has changed a lot and especially like tokyo it's different than like hiroshima and so like i i kind of thought that it was a little going to be a little bit more like, you know, in the morning people have more of a traditional breakfast versus actually they just have bread now. Like, is is it something like that or? <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I just like in my mind, I thought like everyone did like mochitsuki for like the New Year's, or I thought, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like really basic stuff. You know, like the stuff that I don't know. I went to this cultural like Japanese camp thing every year since I was. Um, a kindergartner all the way up until like seventh grade and then and then you can like do volunteer stuff after as a high schooler but it was called Hikari no Gakko and it's like a two-week summer camp that we did and we learned like I don't know about Japanese culture it wasn't like a J school like we didn't learn the language we sang like hoikuen songs and like we watched taiko kendo karate like demonstrations and stuff so i i had this like very textbook image of of what japanese culture was but then when i went there and like i was hanging out with my friends like in tokyo so i'd I'd go back and forth between guma and tokyo and all my like university friends it just seemed like all that historical stuff like oh why do we do this why do we do that like there wasn't really a a known answer amongst like the youth it was just kind of like the culture of Japan, I feel like, was more present and significant in the States. Whereas going to Japan, it's like everyday life and the traditions are kind of part of the past. And so I was like, oh, so like, yes, of course, duh, Japan is modern now. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but um, I think the countryside, though, was very different. Of an ent- like that entry point was super different than if I had gone to Tokyo. So I actually felt like things are pretty old fashioned in Gunma. I mean, like I had a bank book. Do you guys know what a bank book is? <laughs> is that for like, like for checks or like, no, like, like to find out, like to keep a track, keep track of like how much money you have in your bank, you have to pull out your paper bank book and like stick it in the ATM. And then it'll like it'll like write down your your balance and then spit it back out. Like that's a thing. <laughs> like that's a thing wow. in 2020 in the countryside of Japan. And there's there are all these things like that. I just I don't know. Just it was new to me. But it it felt like I had stepped into like maybe like the 70s or the 80s in the U.S. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, like for me, like my host family they were like a lot more like modern and like western than i was expecting i i i mean like i mentioned earlier i i thought that like for breakfast you know you're supposed to have like miso shiru and like gohan and that kind of stuff which is like what is traditional i guess but then they would have just like shokpan yeah and just like toast um (laughs) 
and I was like, what? Like, I was like genuinely surprised because, like, oh my god, like this. I and but that's like normal, and because like you know having that full on breakfast is like like unrealistic nowadays. But um, and then like other things, like they had a regular bed and they didn't like sleep on like futons on the floor or anything, <sighs> and like other things. Uh, just like little things that are like, oh, it makes sense because first of all, I am in Tokyo. It is a modern city and people are going to progress right over the years. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just really interesting, though, how depending on like who we live with for like a homestay or just who we see, it really impacts like our image of like Japan as a whole, because I remember in Gunma. To be honest, it wasn't the greatest experience. Like, I don't know if you if you talk to other Jets who go to, like, rural Japan and they're, like, Japanese-American, sometimes it's really not exciting <laughs> and not the best. Um, it's not the most positive experience, and that's how it was for me in the beginning. And I, ga- I went in with this super strong, like, obsession with Japan. Like, I loved Japan. Like, every time I had gone before was the best trip I had ever been on. And so when I went there for the Jet program, it was not that and part of that I think was I didn't have this this kind of veil of like I'm on an American program so like everyone knows I'm American you get you get a certain privilege right when you go to Japan and you're you're I don't know and people know you're American but in my case like I stepped into the countryside without you know waving a flag above my head that's like an American flag like nobody knew and I think I I realized that um like there is a huge privilege and like a very huge difference between like just visiting as a foreigner and like living there. You've answered a lot of our questions already, yes. <laughs> um, which has been great. And you've touched on a lot of things that we've actually, I think, talked about in previous episodes. Like, Matt, do you remember if we talked about like the Japanese culture versus Japanese American culture and uh, having more some sometimes traditional events and whatnot or customs here mm-hmm. versus in Japan or we have just kind of a different sense of what being Japanese means. I feel like that's come up in other episodes. Yeah, it's definitely come up before. And I know we're actually planning on doing a whole episode about that sometime in the future. But yeah, I think especially if like for Michelle and I, because we went on Kagahashi together and that's also where I met Christy, of course. I think all of our experiences were very, very different and what what expectations and what what we thought about Japan was very different going in. And of course, what we got out of it was extremely different because we're on this government-sponsored program and we we get to do things that a lot of people wouldn't normally get to do. Mm-hmm. And we are sort of at times playing tourists. Like we got to do museum trips and we got to do, we got to see castles and gardens and all these wonderful, amazing things like I'm, sh- like I'm sure Mika and Christy both did when they were on Kagashi. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, like we met with government officials, we met with students to talk about Japanese American culture and history, uh, and what it's like being all of us being Japanese, but in in different ways. Because, and we went sort of learning about what it means to be Nikkei and the different ways that people identify as Nikkei. Where for us in the U.S., we call ourselves Nikkei, and other parts of the world they call themselves Nikkei Jean, and then even in Japan, what Nikkei and Nikkei Jean mean to them. So I think. It's really fascinating seeing how all of us have had similar experiences either through Kakahashi or through other programs and how different the outcomes are and how different we both go into it and how we come out, out of it as well. Sorry, I just, um, I was, I just, cause Matt um, was talking about like how people identify, right? And what, what, what identity terms like in America versus Japan mean. I was just really curious uh, to know, Mika, if you, like how you identified or if people ever yeah. asked you um, um, that yeah question. nobody's really asked me that but that's like really nice to ask thank you um I I so I guess I'd say I'm Japanese American but like I don't know if that term like really like resonates with me as much because I feel like like you know my I guess my, our culture is like again let's like with my obajan like it's very she's very japanese like she's from Mm -hmm. the countryside of hiroshima like she's very like she grew up just like on a farm you know so she's traditional and all of her family is traditional and whenever like we go to visit them it's like like old-fashioned you know like i have like that full japanese breakfast every morning and i sleep on the floor in the tatami room you know so like i kind of feel like like i'm japanese 
in America. So like I'm Japanese American, but I don't feel like, you know, like necessarily like the Nikkei culture 100% aligns with me. Because also in Chicago, it's not as big of a Japanese community anymore. I know like with my mom's generation, it was. And she grew up around that. So like she grew up like doing like the traditional Japanese dancing and all that stuff. Um, like at the Buddhist temples and all that that kind of stuff. And then with me, it, it kind of like like that group of Japanese people like kind of moved away or like went back to Japan. So I, yeah, I, I just don't know if Japanese like American per se like fits me a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I was just curious because for for me, like I did a lot of stuff in the community, like in um, Little Tokyo and whatnot, and. What happened with my, like, I don't know, identity terms, it went from, like, being Japanese to being Japanese-American. And then I went to Japan and tried to explain, like, my background, and that did not work. Like, that didn't (laughs) translate, right? There's no context. I tried to use, like, Asian-American, and then I was like, oh, what? No, they wouldn't know what that means. And so that was really a big struggle point for me because I was like, it's the language, but it's also, like, I don't even know what term would resonate because when you go to the countryside it doesn't make sense like I'm I guess it's a podcast you can't tell but like I'm like Japanese American on both sides so mm-hmm. I'm like Yonsei on my dad's side Gose huh? on my dad's side Yonsei on my mom's side and so I can pass like in Japan as a Japanese person but that doesn't register like a English speaking Japanese person who doesn't speak Japanese in Japan was seen as somebody who like was slow. Like I, mm. I was told so many times, like, like, I don't know if I can say this on like, Oh my, like they would just tell me like, you know, oh my God. Stupid, like how, like this happened a couple of times and it was always an older, like Japanese Gosh. dude. I, I don't know if that's a it's trend. It's a man, right? It's never a woman, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it like that kind of stuff happened and so I was just curious because I got asked a lot like what almost like what's wrong with you type of question Mm. because um those first two years were solely like in the countryside and so that was the first time I felt like I had to I got exhausted like explaining myself Mm -hmm. and yeah so I don't know I was just kind of curious but Tokyo um but also, I'm half Japanese, so on my mom's side, Japanese, my dad's Italian. So uh, whenever I'm in Japan, I always have to, like, overcompensate because they, they don't expect me to be speaking Japanese at all. Like, they will speak horrible English to me before they will speak Japanese to me. So I always had that problem because I'm, like, I'm not Japanese-looking. Like, I mean, I look half, I think, if you know that. But if you're not, like, open to that, you probably just think I'm a foreigner, which is what I look like, I guess. So, like, in Tokyo, like, everybody would try to speak to me in English and I'd be like, no, 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 you can speak to me in Japanese. It would actually be easier for me if you spoke to me in Japanese. But so then they're always like genuinely surprised. Like I did some kind of hat trick or something when I speak Japanese and they're like, oh my God. So then I always have to, like, I always kind of lie and say like, okay, my mom's Japanese. Like she's from there almost because otherwise they don't get it. So then I'm like, yeah, my mom's Japanese and my dad's Italian. And then I'm like a a spectacle. Like, they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. You know? So like, I almost have like the opposite problem from you because they don't have any expectations for me when I'm there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is literally, yes, (laughs) I get it. And especially in the countryside. But then, like, so, like, when I go to Hiroshima, for example, like, I speak the Hiroshima dialect because that's what my grandma does. Like, it, then it kind of, like, works because they're all of a sudden, like, oh, you get it. Like, you you understand, like, this accent or whatever, this dialect. And then all of a sudden I feel like I'm welcomed into, like, even, like, a for- like somebody I've never met before. Like, I had, like, a, a weird interaction with somebody at a supermarket before. Anyway, that, like, works. Because I, I guess it's like the dialect and also people in Hiroshima are like very, very proud to be from there. If they just look at me, they're like, oh, my God, I want to take a picture with this white looking woman in the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah. That was just my experience. <laughs> yeah. And I think that can that's another part of it is, is identity and how we identify with our Japanese heritage or whether we identify as Japanese American or Nikkei or Nikkei Jean for some folks. And I think that's also why we're so drawn to this part of our life because i mean like for me because she's half 
for Michelle also and myself, we're all mixed. So I think it's it's a part of ourselves that we grew up with and that we, for whatever reason, strongly identify with and why we identify with it so strongly is, I think it's just something that pervades the community. Like we're just so proud of being Japanese American, regardless of whether we're full Japanese and we're fifth gen or we're mixed and we're first gen. It's it's just something that I think we've always been proud of. And I think that's always sort of also what brings us back to Japan. But I know you all touched on a little bit, um, sort of these challenges and things you didn't know, things that surprised you, but were there any other sort of stories of, of things that you weren't expecting that you really had to figure out and overcome in your time there that you think people should know about? Yeah, I mean, I guess like being half Japanese, and especially if you're a female, I think you're kind of like sexualized a little bit. Um, mm. I mean, that was like some of my experiences, especially like my other half friends. We all like we, I also met a couple of other half friends while I studied around there, too. And we always had like that issue whenever we were together. Like I'm like you're not you, catcalling isn't really a thing there, but like sometimes it would happen to us. And it was just like really weird. And like, you know, you would be on the train and they would just like stare at you. Um, because you look foreign, at least. Mm. I think that's the thing. So uh, that was a little bit hard for me. And then also, like, I I felt the pains of, like, being a woman in kind of, like, a male-centric society. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I, de- I didn't have that before. And I, I didn't really notice before when I would be on trips with my family because you just don't see it when you're surrounded by, like, either one other Japanese people or two like males (laughs) yeah yeah no I just it's so funny like I feel like I could just have like a forever conversation with Mika but like basically um, yeah Christy we'll start our own podcast don't worry (laughs) (laughs) um like essentially everything so everything like she just said I totally understand but it's for the completely opposite reason like so you would think like someone like me wouldn't get stared at. But when I'm speaking English with like a friend of mine, then it's all of a sudden like, why are you speaking English? And it's like, I hate, I I don't know. I guess I can't say I hate it, but it was really hard to be stared at like all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it makes you, it made me conform, I guess. I don't know if it makes other people, but it made me kind of tone down or just be really aware of like when I was using English because of the way that people perceive me. And I was like eating ramen and like Niigata or something with my friend. We were just in the boonies. We were on like a snow trip. And and I was like trying to like use my Japanese and like talking about like how we're from California or whatever. And I was talking about, yeah, like I, uh, she said something about my English. And I was like, yeah, is it okay to like, you know, do you want to practice English? She's like, oh, no, I'm just, I wanted to tell you that like when, when we see I think I was asking her, like, why is it weird when people see me speaking English? And she was like, oh, because it looks like you're showing off. Like, you're a Japanese person trying oh, yeah. to, like, be, like, I don't know. Like, oh do you know God. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know. That makes so I, much sense. That's so yeah. weird. I mean, that's also, like, effed up, you know? <laughs> like, Well, but I didn't know. But it's like, I didn't know that was, like, a perception of potentially what I was doing. Or, like, when people are in the train, right? Mika, like, and they're, like, holding a book. Like, if you're reading even, like, an English book, I thought if I was reading an English book, <gasps> maybe people would, like, talk to me. But Gyakuni, it's, like, <laughs> that's not good in some senses either. Like, some people see that as, like, oh, oh like, my God. they can read. These are just so like, small stereotypes. But, like, I-, I don't know. Just stuff that, like, I was very, like, aware of when towards the end of my stay in Japan. But in the beginning... I literally like I did so many like what is it called faux pas like I was going to Tokyo one time and I just I was really needing to talk to people like it didn't matter what language I was just so like I was like going from LA to like Gunma and it was that was just not a good yeah um, culture change or whatever so there's a two-hour train ride to Tokyo and I had a piece of like gum or something and I just wanted to like start a conversation with the person next to me so I'm in a train in Japan which you don't talk on the train you don't talk (laughs) and I turn to the person next to me this dude and I'm like do you want a piece of gum (laughs) oh my god they were just like oh like kind of like you know like 
kind of like jolted back and I was like, oh, sorry. Like I just, those kind of things, you know, you just, you don't realize how awkward it is and how different like mm-hmm. culturally you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Christy, like what you're saying about like conforming. I mean, again, like I was only there a semester, so you were there way, way, way longer than I was, but I was feeling like even a couple months in, I, I you know, I, I started buying more similar clothes to what people were like, like culottes and all that yeah. stuff. Right. Or like, um, especially in the middle of summer, I was like there in July, which is like the hottest, most humid part time of, in Japan. And I was like wearing long sleeves and long pants because that's what all the other girls were doing. And then if I did that, I did get stared at less. I mean, I yeah. still got, you know what I mean? But I started to conform like, you know, physically to them. And then it started, I mean, I was so uncomfortable because I was like sweating like so, so much, but I mean, it worked. <laughs> yeah. No, like clothes though. Like, so you're talking about like being um, a lady, right? In Japan in a male dominated society. I guess, I guess we're really lucky because we hadn't, at the time, I hadn't entered like, like corporate America yet or anything. So I never mm. felt any type of ceilings or whatever, or, or differences between like girls and guys. Mm-hmm. But I joined a baseball team in Gunma and we're on the topic of clothes. I wore Nike shorts one day to their <gasps> team practice. Oh, um, no. You know, the Nike Uh-oh. running shorts. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, they're just, you know, like mid, well, depends mm. i'm short so they're like mid thigh on me uh-huh. so they're not like super short but in japan if you know you know this but like it, it you, people usually wear like leggings underneath exactly. their exactly i was just gonna mention mm-hmm. that did they mention that you were if you forgot your leggings or something like that no uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they're dudes right so they were saying stuff like eh, ne, toka. Oh. like they would say stuff that was like like you're being so risque or like you're like what are you doing i can see your underwear they could see like the white like the you know, like the white mesh underneath. Oh, my God. God forbid they see something that, oh, my God. So it was, like, horrifying because I had been practicing with these dudes. I had my, like, baseball pants or whatever and socks usually. But it was, like, summer and it was really hot. And I was like, you know what? It's hot today. I'm just going to wear my shorts. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Like, I knew. Like, so rough. I knew, like, I probably maybe... I don't know. I just wanted to wear shorts. I didn't think there would be that much of a like backlash, but no, no, the whole two hours, it was just like, oh there's a lot of heckling and I tried to ignore it. And like, um, I was talking to, there's one guy on the team that I was like really close to. And I was like, why, like, why is it such a big deal? And he's like, well, you are the only girl on the team. I was like, okay. Like, okay. yes, that's probably not the best choice of clothes. But it's just like, it just, uh, I don't know. There were good and bad things about like being on a men's baseball team. Like it was cool to be like the only girl like on the team and like, that's cool. <laughs> but, yeah. this is but whenever I went up to bat, they would, I played softball for like nine years. So baseball wasn't like a huge transition for me, but uh-huh. they were freaked out when they saw like a girl, like a tiny girl in the batter's box. And every time I looked over at the pitcher before his windup, he just like froze. <laughs> you are so, oh my gosh. You like, they had no, they didn't know how to react. I thought it was hilarious, but yeah, yeah clothes are a big thing. Like, for ladies especially and it's so yeah and then like the other thing was like the makeup and the hair that's the one thing I I couldn't conform to because like I don't do makeup like I'm not good at it I'm not gonna pretend to and also like I don't have time to like do my hair or whatever everybody in Tokyo like they dress to the nines like there's gorgeous (laughs) all the time it's like 6 a.m and heels like oh my god yeah heels 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 I was wearing converse all the time Uh, no no (laughs) But yeah, I I think for me, though, like going into Japan and the countryside, like I couldn't wear, I wasn't supposed to wear makeup as a teacher. And then anytime I did something different to my hair, like there was a comment. It was like, ah, oh, kami kawatta ne. And I was oh. like, yes, it changed. So they did? Like, <laughs> so what? <laughs> <laughs> like there wasn't really a compliment. It was just more like, oh. Oh, there has did. been changes <laughs> that occurred without my knowledge. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know if yeah. you ever got that, but it was that. Ugh, I just, I remember that a lot. Appearance is so big. like. And I think least- it's different because my hair is like naturally like brown. So then people are like, oh, did you dye it? Or like, you know, like it, it's, they like that, right? Versus like. 
uh, and then my hair has like a slight wave. It's it's not pinched right straight. So then that's another conversation topic, even though it's like absolutely nothing special, right? I can only imagine kind of the experiences that you're talking about because I've only been to Japan, well, twice. Once uh, and for the longest time was on the Kakashi trip, which is you know very very short. And the, the first time I went, I think I was like five years old, and so I don't really remember much. And my knowledge of the language has come and gone in terms that I tried to learn it in high school, and then after that, it just kind of vanished, unfortunately. But I I just think it's it's crazy to hear all of this. And I was actually curious, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of the challenges that you've been you had faced during your time there, but would love to hear kind of the highlights of your trips and what what were your favorite memories or most memorable times there? I don't know, Mika, you wanna I, I'm trying oh, to think. Sure. Yeah, um a lot, but yeah. Go so ahead. like because I studied abroad, like it wasn't like I had to go to a nine to five job. Like I didn't have as much commitments. Like I had class and everything, but I didn't have to, you know, like dress up to go to work every day and have this like routine. So I had a lot of free time. So I did a lot of traveling and a lot of like exploring Tokyo. So like I did, it was funny because like my host parents or family or whatever, they, you know, obviously live born and raised in Tokyo and like I I had been doing so much stuff in my short amount of time that they hadn't even done that stuff if that makes sense like I went here and and like Thursday I do this and then like I I was living this life that I I don't live outside of study abroad and I think everybody who studies abroad study abroad says the same thing because they know they have this short amount of period in this one place so they they try to maximize it as much as they can I mean, so, like, obviously, like, I I was, like, on food adventures, and I got to travel here and there, and I went to see my family in Hiroshima twice, I think, while I was there, and it was, like, so cool that I was just able to, like, hop on a train and, like, go stay with them for a weekend or a week, you know, because, like, we've never been that proximity, you know, that close in my lifetime, so that was cool. Friends, like I made a lot of like expat and international Japanese friends, which was kind of cool. And I had also made an, a lot of friends at USC who were Japanese. So then when I was studying abroad there, like our like schedules aligned up. So then I was able to like meet up with them in their hometown, which is kind of cool. So it was like mostly like traveling, like and that kind of thing that was like really fun for me. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I always wanted to like study abroad, but because that was another reason I think I wanted to go to Japan because like I never did, took that chance. So mm. if anyone wants to study abroad in the next, do it. Yeah, please do <laughs> always it. do it. I mean, I know right now is probably not the best time to be doing it, but yeah, outside of right now. Yeah, no, it's just it's it's so life changing. I think to like you're saying, like having that chance to explore a place without having having that nine to five, I guess. And the commitments, like, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, um, I do wish I had extended it and I had done the full year. Um, because I, again, I had all these challenges, like I, I was getting disgruntled by like, you know, like the gender issues and like the race issues. But then also like, at the end of it all, even though I had all these issues, like I was like, oh, I really wish I had spent more time. I wish I was there longer. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally resonate with that. For me, a couple, let's see. So four years is kind of a lot for me to to come through. To put in a context, I went to Japan when I was 22 and I came back when I was 26. And so a lot of like the post-grad feels and like learning the language and then like, I don't know, culture shock, all these things, like first job out of college were like happening at the same time. And one of the things that really made a difference in at least my reasoning like for being in Japan was meeting a family member of mine that was like living in Japan so my my bachan like she went back to Kagoshima for four or five years in her like middle school like elementary school days after getting out of the camps like they they went back to Japan for some for some time and her cousin, who's like kind of younger, so she's like 15 years younger. There was like a, they had a big family. So Hoshie was this little like tiny Japanese like obajan who like I had never met before. But my grandma just she she told me like this is her number. 
this is where she lives. She'll pick you up at the station. I was like, okay. So I went from Gunmaken all the way down to uh, Kagoshima, which is in Kyushu, which is like really far. I went with my friend, my my college friend, um, Tiffany, because she had booked, she booked a trip to Japan. And this was my first winter, like not seeing family. Like I stayed in Japan that first year, which could or could have not been a mistake. But I guess this trip, though, was so formative for me. So I went down to Kyushu, met this lady, and she's just like so cute. She just like just super welcoming. She's like, Christy-san. I'm like, yes, that's me. I hope, I don't know how she knew, but there also weren't that many people out there. And so I had somewhat, what was it? August to December. I had learned like a decent amount of Japanese, but then she was also speaking like Kagoshima Ben. So it was Mm. a little hard to understand, but she showed me, she was pointing out as she was driving, like all the the relatives like the dentist or the I don't know this shop that shop and then she showed me Bachan's like school that she went to at the time it had like I don't know like 500 students or a thousand students or something and now they're only 30 and she showed me like the station which now is like not in use but they used to use it a lot like the populations are like really shrinking right like it's not I know people talk about it a lot but it's like definitely I I just I could see that a lot but it was really cool to see the place that like my family at least one part of my family came from and then she showed me the family koseki which is like Mm -hmm. the what is it like the The family yeah like the thing like the the temple grave yeah 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 and on it like was my grandma's name and like she showed me the immigration papers so it went from like Kagoshima to like Sacramento and I don't know, like seeing that and like hearing the family history, it it changed something in me, like my self-confidence. I don't know what it was, just like validation, I guess, that I had family that was from Japan that had a huge impact on me. And I was like really, I don't know if it was happy. I was happy, but I was like, I just felt like really complete after that trip. And then it was like, why am I in Japan? <laughs> like, what am I going to do here now? Because I... I think I was going to fill some type of void. And that was the moment where I was like, huh, I don't need to prove to anyone anymore that I'm Japanese. Like this is like my, my personal validation. So Mm -hmm. that was a really, that was a really kind of unique thing that I will never forget. Mm. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm lucky I got to meet family and that they were still around. So that's so nice. Wow. Yeah, that's really that's really amazing and i've that's something i've always wanted to do too is try to go i mean much much further removed but you go back and try to find my family in japan too but as we are coming up on time i want to thank you all for your amazing stories your amazing experiences um all the wonderful advice and tidbits and stories that you shared about your time in japan and before we end off i did want to ask you both the last question so would you go back and live in japan again and would you recommend the experience to other people? Um, I would definitely recommend my experience or doing it just because it really does push you outside of your comfort zone. And it kind of made me like more of a travel person or like wanting to try risks. I don't know if I would live in Japan again. I mean, I don't know if I would like the work culture in Japan, first and foremost, um, especially like corporate culture, um, because American corporate culture is a lot and Japanese corporate culture is like 10 times worse. So I don't know if I would like work at like a normal company, but like maybe if like a right opportunity arrives or, you know, even like if I were to retire, I'd love to retire there. Um, Yeah, maybe in the future. Never know. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely I recommend the jet program for sure. I think that was a super good experience to like just see Japan outside of Tokyo because I don't think a lot of people get that that side of Japan. I plan to actually go back like temporarily throughout the years moving forward. So part of me feels like I can't not ever visit in a year. Like like I feel like I left part of myself there. Like there's a lot of friend there are a lot of friends in Tokyo and throughout Japan, a lot of distant like family sort of like like host families and and family friends and things and folks like that. So I wouldn't, I don't see myself moving back permanently. I just came back to the States in June of this year, but I would also leave 
this kind of note though for for folks who are like interested in living in Japan you can you can live a pretty decent like free like how do I say this pretty free lifestyle um if you're working for a geishke or like a foreign company um that's like within tech or has a certain um company culture because there is this really strong stereotype that especially with like Japanese companies that you know you're working like i don't know like 12 hour days and stuff like that which is true for for a lot of companies but the folks that i was friends with so the bilingual like japanese nationals but also bilingual like for like i don't know international folks working there a lot of people actually had really wonderful lives and uh if you're an expat in japan <laughs> your living wage in in tokyo especially is so much cheaper than um other places like in the states like other cities so it's a great place if you're just you know you're single or you got like a like a partner and you just want to go out have drinks with friends come back on the train not break the bank it's like a really good place to to live and enjoy but it is far so recommend it to people for sure thank you again christy and mika for joining us today it was such a great opportunity to hear from the both of you and hear all of your amazing stories as matt said yeah thank you both so much again but for everyone listening, be sure to join us for our next episode coming this January, where we'll be discussing Oshogatsu and all of our family traditions. And don't forget to follow at Nikkei Rising on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for release dates, episode titles, descriptions, and guests for the Yonsei podcast, as well as other updates on other Nikkei Rising programs. And to listen to all of Season 1 and the rest of Season 2, you can find the Yonsei Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages website, jampilgrimages.com. The Yonsei Podcast is made by Hiro Adeza, Michelle Hecker, Yoko Fedorenko, Johnny Narita, and Matthew Weisbley, with theme music by Michelle Hecker. This episode will be edited by Hiro Adeza, and now sponsored by the Minidoka Pilgrimage Planning Committee. This has been the Yonsei Podcast, and it's been Yonsei.